those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and it's uh, Tuesday, March 16th, 2010. Here comes St. Patrick's Day, yes. Uh, yesterday I did the Eyes of March. Um, I'm not Caesar, no problem. Uh, <laughs> I think St. Patrick's Day is fun. I'm finally old enough to try to enjoy the enjoyable and let the rest go. Oh, I hear all that Irish music. Uh, it all comes back to me. Visions of my father having a drop taken, right? Uh, holding forth, you know, singing and all that maudlin stuff. Check out Frank McCourt's novel, Angela's Ashes. You remember, the late Frank McCourt wrote a book about the uh, the horrors of his home in uh, Limerick. Uh, there's nothing romantic about all that domestic dysfunction. Uh, I suppose if you're in the mood, but no, no, for me, I see booze as a, a bloody curse. For some of us, uh, I know that it's possible to enjoy having a drink or two, but, uh, <laughs> not where I come from. Uh, besides, Having watched them in my youth, uh, I find that the, uh, what is it, the male alcoholic, anyway, uh, is, is a questionable. Henry Miller used to write about his German father, it's not just the Irish, and he said that, uh, you know, sentimentality is the flip side of violence. He said his father was a violent, ferocious, fierce man. Uh, the minute I see the tears rolling down, you know, and the uh, mawkish or maudlin sentimentality. Uh, I suspect that we're dealing with something else. I was thinking last night, watching some war movies, uh, the great Stanley Kubrick made a picture called Paths of Glory in which we see the soldiers, the French soldiers, World War One. Uh, breaking down and weeping at the end of the movie, and it seems to ring true. It is quite beautiful. It's a fabulous scene. Stanley Kubrick uh, married the girl who's in that scene. She's a German prisoner brought on stage and uh, told to sing for the boys. And, of course, um, by the time she finishes, uh, she's very shy. Uh, they are reduced to remembering their... Mothers, sisters, lovers, and so forth. And uh, it gets me every time. And then I remember how quickly that sentimentality uh, can change. I'm not sure. I I think it's, what is it? Uh, we've been wringing our hands over human nature now. For all these centuries, I think we're due for a, a romantic revival. Something to do with our times. <laughs> I... I'm sorry, I still think that violence is indecent. I, I think maybe we should, what is it, uh, pass a law, right, pass a law. There's a movie out that I saw last night called, uh, 
what is it? Lions for Lambs. Robert Redford doing his bit. It's a movie made in 2007. And it's all about uh, the Iraq War. Ever since The Hurt Locker won the Oscar, I've decided to try and watch the movies about the war. This thing going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, ah, the best of the war movies, of course. You remember seeing Black Hawk Down released back in 2000. They didn't know whether to release it or not. It was just before 9-11 and we were seeing ourselves as victims over there in Somalia. The problem, of course, is that Ridley Scott made a brilliant movie, Sam Shepard looking tragic and, uh, ah, ha, ha, it was as good as that German picture, Das Boot. Anyway, the cinematography is to die for and I thought, my God, if they're going to make good war pictures, you know, it's as, what is that, as aesthetically successful as, uh, at least as Apocalypse Now, Black Hawk Down, it was the sort of thing that I couldn't watch, um, body parts don't do it for me, but I, I thought at the time, you know, that <laughs> the poetry of violence is sure to make a comeback. Uh, I prefer pictures like Lions for Lambs, it's prosaic, though, compared to uh, Black Hawk Down. It's a Robert Redford picture with Meryl Streep as the skeptical journalist. She hits an impasse. She can't uh, publish the great lies, the half lies. Uh, uh, Robert Redford plays a liberal professor who says that no one's listened to him for 15 years and... He tells his students that it's up to them, that they have to figure out what's going on. Uh, basically, he tells them that they, uh, well, that they no longer hear the truth. It's a pessimistic picture, is all I'm saying. Uh, Tom Cruise plays the, the villain, the bad guy, the ambitious pol politician who goes along to get along, you know, compromise becomes complicity. Uh, you remember the movie The Quiet American, Graham Greene's picture, I think might be the best uh, picture for, what do we call that, the hypocrisy, hypocrisy inherent in the system. Check out Lions for Lambs. Uh, actually, it did, it did make me feel, uh, what's the word, deja vu all over again, thinking of all the Vietnam films, you know, uh, back in the 80s, they, well, they, Sylvester Stallone came up with the Rambo pictures, and I saw young men, adolescents, uh, with tears running down their faces as they left the theater, and I thought, my God, here we go again. Oh, uh, Emma Goldman, back in 1917, in her, paper mother earth she writes uh, all wars are wars among thieves thieves too cowardly to fight and who therefore induce the young manhood of the whole world to do the fighting for them in the movie lions for lambs we see the young men who are betrayed who are uh destroyed, whatever you want to call it. They do all the wrong things for the right reasons, the right, uh, let's see, 
the right things for the wrong reasons, you name it. Um, Rudyard Kipling wrote, uh, if they ask you why we died, tell them this, our fathers lied. Uh, actually, in Black Hawk Down, well, the funny thing is, um, the young men, they divide them up into the, the, um, the guys who just follow orders and kind of enjoy the violence. And then there are the young men who say they want to make a difference. That seems to be the, the going line. Uh, I, uh, I had sworn off war movies, but after The Hurt Locker, I think I have to go back and study them once again. Uh, Oscar Wilde used to say, you can't get rid of wars by fussing and wringing your hands and saying how wicked they are. It is only when the wars become vulgar, silly, you know, that people will grow sick of them. I myself am very fond of uh, screwball comedies. I was trying to think this morning on the way to the station. I was thinking, what's the name of that movie with John Lennon, that screwball comedy about World War II, I've completely forgotten. It's got uh, Jack McGowan, one of my favorite, favorite character actors in it. Uh, I just love to watch Jack McGowan do uh, readings of Samuel Beckett on uh, PBS. Anyway, if you're old enough to remember 1983, I have a little note here. It says, Reagan's got $178 billion. To pay the Pentagon. Oh, jeez. Nowadays, that's chump change. <laughs> Seems pretty vulgar, but anyway. I remember the first time I recognized a masterpiece. Back in those days, I saw the German film Das Boot. The, the boat. The, um, well, it's not a vulgar picture, let's face it. It's all about a young, well, it's the young German filmmaker is trying to uh, alter the image of his fathers, his uh, Nazi fathers. Uh, it's brilliant, the movie. It's what scares me. Uh, it cuts both ways, says one thing means another. They promote it, of course, as an anti-war film. But the trouble with that is that all film tends to argue in favor of the behavior shown. You know how that is. They may catch the rapist, but what the viewer remembers is the uh, act of the rape. Now, the end result, of course, is uh, to promote romance with disaster. These anti-pictures celebrate what they claim to deplore. They glorify as they condemn. There is a subscript there, screaming a message. Man is most alive when he faces death. <laughs> das Boot is as well made uh, as the World War II U-boats it commemorates. Nobody did it like the Germans as the story begins... The crew indulges, uh, the crew indulges in a maudlin drunk. 
I got a note from my engineer folks here. Oh, how I won the war, 1967. Oh, right. John Lennon played Gripweed, G-R-I-P-W-E-E-D, based on the novel by Patrick Ryan, How I Won the War, 1967. I have a young teenage um, acquaintance, and I, uh, I've been looking for movies for him to see if I can uh, distract him from the, the romantic or sad war movies. I was looking for all the screwball comedies, you know. How I Won the War would be at the top of my list. Uh, I thank you for this note. If you, If any of our listeners can think of any other screwball comedies about the war... Write me a postcard and I'll uh, I'll get them out of the video store and take them to my young friend. He, of course, liked Black Hawk Down and he liked uh, Brilliant Picture and he liked um, The Hurt Locker. Anyway, this old masterpiece, Das Boot, uh, it starts out with the Dietrich-style cabaret girl. Yes, my father was so nostalgic over Marlena Dietrich. Uh, I remember he was so upset when the sailors on his ship, he was on a hospital ship, he was the doctor there, and he said that the young sailors laughed at uh, Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard. They thought she was a freak or something. And, of course, <laughs> she was... Um, uh, one of the idols of his youth. Um, anyway, in the picture, the Germans all get drunk and vomit on each other. You know, they have this night before, kind of like a stag party. It's all very nostalgic. And they go off to die for the fatherland. Ah, they used to do that at my house down in La Jolla. In the 1940s, they'd all get plastered out there on the beach and Oh, once in a while, they'd get hurt in the surf. Yes, it was pretty exciting. But the nurses and the corpsmen and the doctors, they would all get uh, very, very soused. And then off they would go to the Pacific Theater, they called it. Yes, my father said that the insides of the ships looked like there was spaghetti dripping off the walls when they were blown up. Anyway... The filmmaker of Das Boot, that's Wolfgang Petersen. Now, that's a guy born in 1946. He's 13 years younger than I am. Apparently, this is his attempt to vindicate the memory of his father's generation. See, he wasn't around for World War II, but he was born. He came in on the crest of the wave. He was born the year after the war ended. Okay, we see the inside of a submarine. It's hell's gut. The irony is thick as the air. The whole thing's rusty with irony. The men sing, uh, sing the British song, It's a Long Way to Tipperary. Suicidal spunk. They surface just long enough to call out to their fellows, the other uh, men in the other submarines. They call them hellhounds. They wave across the, the big waves in the ocean. There's a note upon the screen at the beginning of the film which tells the audience that 40,000 men 
shipped out in the German U-boats, and 30,000 never returned. I will repeat, for those who like numbers, for those who like to measure uh, pain, death, atrocity, 40,000 men shipped out in the German U-boats. 30,000 never returned. That is, three out of four of the men who went out in the U-boats did not come back. They are drowned. They are down. At the bottom of the sea, the movie is a claustrophobic nightmare. I'm one of those cowards. I can't really watch it. I keep looking at it, peeking at it. Uh, it has a treacherous twist at the end, recalling another film. You remember that French film, Wages of Fear, 1953? That one had a twist. Clearly, this film glorifies the German past. It's all very metallic, especially the soundtrack. The passionate pride of these daring Teutonic men in their diving machines proclaims for posterity that they all went to Valhalla. As cinema, this is sharp as attack. As propaganda, it's the same old poop. I don't know, I guess, yes, you know, we all want our our Iliad and our Odyssey. Um, I don't know whether it would have been better if the movie had been a bad picture. Uh, this is not the juvenile cartoon stuff like the, the Rambo pictures. They've already become almost comic. Uh, and it's not even the generic uh, pity the grunt Stuff like Platoon, you remember Platoon. Uh, <laughs> Stone, yes, Oliver Stone. The Poetry of Violence. Uh, for many years, we have been deluged with this stuff, you know. It comes and goes, though. Naziana, I call it. Some of it's camp and some of it's not so camp. Uh <laughs> I go for pictures like Tea with Mussolini, with all the old British ladies trying to survive the um, Second World War in Florence. Um, I don't think that's, that isn't a war picture. No, it isn't. Uh, there is a plethora of Hitler types on TV. Uh, it is pervasive. It is tasteless. It is endless. The experts tell us that this may be one of the ways that we work things out, you know, that we purge ourselves of these demons or our fears of the unspeakable. You know, you've seen uh, a few of the pictures, one of them from that Italian, oh God, yes, the happy ending for a Holocaust picture. Uh -huh. uh, it's possible that in its way, cinema mirrors our collective consciousness or our collective unconsciousness. I like to read the movies, uh, war pictures, anti-war pictures. I think of them as the front of the mirror, the back of the mirror, maybe. They tell us that history, that nightmare from which we can never awaken, history is going to have its way with us again, yes. Peace is just the trough of the wave, and then comes the great storm of violence. Uh, 
And the myth of the hero never dies. Uh, we all want a tragedy of our own, our very own. I remember in the wake of the war in Vietnam, the films were depressing as hell. Uh, real bummers. Dirges. You know, you have to wait till the blood is dry. Uh, poetic tragedies like Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now. Those were downers. Um, documentaries like Hearts and Minds dealt with the Vietnamese people themselves. That was not, of course, as popular a success. I recommend Hearts and Minds. Um, documentaries. Hmm. I think maybe television is helping us to see more of the documentaries. Very few people will go pay ten bucks for them. Uh, I went for the... Well, the sort of downer that gives you Jane Fonda and John Voight in Coming Home. That was a picture that nobody wanted to watch, you know. It was all about a disabled veteran. Indelible scene in which he tries to have sex with Jane Fonda. You know, he's in a wheelchair and all that stuff. Uh, the medical consequences of being... Uh, Paraplegic, yes. The oldest one, let's see, um, Marlon Brando in The Men. An unforgettable picture that everybody thought was a documentary. <laughs> anyway, my memory is fading with time. Been half a century since these pictures. Do you remember Hiroshima Mon Amour, the famous French film, uh, the actress was called Riva, R-I-V-A, very famous actress of the time. The story, the film is by Marguerite Duras, D-U-R-A-S, famous lady from France. Uh, the leading actress in Hiroshima Mon Amour says that she's under the illusion of never being able to forget. She thought she could never forget Hiroshima, but of course... She is forgetting already. It's just as it is in love, she says. The illusion fades. Today there are those who have forgotten Vietnam. We have forgotten about the death in the Delta. We've forgotten the heart of darkness. And of course, every day there are more and more people who never knew it. I imagine someone born the year after the Vietnam War ended is going to write a poetic, poetic movie, a poetic novel all about it in order to uh, dignify the pain of his fathers, uh, mythologize the warriors of that time. The further we get from the horror of Vietnam, the more American filmmakers try to bring back John Wayne, you know, Testosterone uh, poisons or affects the brain. Male molecules, you know, they just kind of float around in the air. There are these great bloodbaths. And then, of course, we have a period of sanity. We are slapped into uh, sanity. We get the, the zen um, sense and uh, the next wave of violence. Uh, it it waits in the wings. It builds up. Uh, 
The deeps of frustration and boredom seem to make so many men long for the finalities of war. You know, just give up and go out there and... I think they're called the survivalists. You know, the people who would rather just get a gun. Uh, so much simpler, you know. There's too much work to work things out. <laughs> I think... I think if I were... If I were having a, a course in war and anti-war pictures, I guess I would start with Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. I think Deer Hunter is a little too hard to take. It was poetic. I love the bit about the death of the stag. Remember in Deer Hunter, the, the death of the stag? They lifted that and put it into a movie about Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, after Diana has been killed in Paris in the car wreck, we see the Queen of England as played, portrayed by Helen Mirren. And she goes out and her car stalls. Believe it or not, the Queen drives. And her uh, car stalls up in the headlands and the locals are hunting for a stag. And, and they get it, of course, and she sees that later. But for a moment, just a moment, she's all alone out in the wilderness and she sees this stag. It is the moment that makes the movie, and uh, she manages she manages a few tears, whether they are for Diana or for herself or probably for the stag, for the, the death of beautiful things, I think. Yes, we can say the death of beautiful things is what that moment was about. The stag is sacred to the goddess Artemis, the goddess Diana in ancient times, yes. Okay. After the war, you remember in Deer Hunter, Robert De Niro finds that he can't hunt deer anymore. He gets up there in the mountains and raises his gun. He recognizes what we call the feminine principle regarding the sacredness of life and so on and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Oliver Stone even stuck a deer into platoon, which I found hypocritical. His uh, promotion insisted that this picture marked the turn back to what Hollywood calls realism. For verisimilitude, Stone hired Captain Dale Dye as technical advisor on platoon. He said he was trying to get rid of all that um, metaphysical poetic stuff like in Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is just a drug dream, of course. Frankly, I thought it was terrific. There's a new version that uh, I find much more interesting historically. It goes back to the old days when the French uh, were running, were ruling uh, Vietnam. And you see how uh, history played out. I think it is useful to have a history lesson in the war pictures. <laughs> anyway, Stone hired this retired Marine Corps lifer name of uh, Captain Dale Dye. This is an ex-editor of Soldier of Fortune, that magazine. You know, the one that the Nigerian Contras used to read. Anyway, uh, Captain Dye founded a consulting firm. He called it Warriors, Inc. That's back in 1985. He did this partly out of distaste for what uh, he calls these ramblings in Apocalypse Now and Deer Hunter. 
Now, both Oliver Stone and Captain Die are decorated Vietnam veterans. Uh, there's an article in Time magazine. Okay, I've run out of time and I don't have a chance to tell you all about uh, the messenger of death. <laughs> in evil, yes, in evil is much knowledge. Uh, check out War and Peace while you're at it. Uh, I think it is possible to make an anti-war film. It's just that it hasn't been done yet. If you know of a movie you think really, really teaches or preaches that war is no good and that it's dangerous for all living things, write and tell me. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air at 8.20 Thursday morning on the morning show. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Sixty years of KPFA, a legacy. This is Sandy in Oakland. My parents were original subscribers to KPFA when it first came on the air, even though we did not live in this area. We lived in uh, uh, the peninsula. All I remember hearing is good things about KPFA. When I became a college student in 1957, I listened to the station and been listening and been subscribing ever since. So uh, keep up the good work, and um, thank you very much. Become part of KPFA's legacy. Visit kpfa.org slash support for information about how donating a car or participating in planned giving will keep KPFA on the air for generations to come. Visit kpfa.org slash